We get the skinny from Celine Yeager on going too low. You know, I did a little experiment where I weighed myself every day for five years while I was going through all kinds of training. You know, I did Ironman during that time. I did Cape Epic mountain bike racing, like huge things. And my my performances at some of my higher weights were far better than my performances at some of my lower weights. The fit chick, she rides, she writes, she races, and she talks with Patrick Brady. Just took my damn bike to this thing and just gutted it out. Baseline, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Michael Houghton, a.k.a. Hottie. If you've been counting, and I know you have, we have cranked out 113 episodes of The Paceline. In the podcast world, that's like riding five grand tours in a row. So we're giving the regular show a bit of a break. But do not worry. RedKitePrayer.com, which is the home of The Paceline, will continue to fill this audio space with cool content like... This upcoming tandem episode. Paceline tandems are free flowing conversations, one on one interviews, the real bread and butter of podcasting. Like with the Paceline, you can and we encourage you to rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts so other like minded cycling geeks can find it. You know, I can't tell you how many times I whipped open my latest edition of Bicycling Magazine, started reading some article. Finished it with new knowledge in my head and a smile on my face and then looked at the byline and found the name Celine Yeager. Here's the fit chick with RKP's Patrick Brady. Well, hey, Celine. Thanks for agreeing hey. to be on the pace line. I'm happy to be here. Cool. Um, you know, it's funny. This started germinating in my head when we bumped into each other last fall uh, at the Outdoor Blogger Summit. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we got to ride a couple times and every time you opened your mouth, I was like, Okay, clearly I don't know what's going on with my own diet. (laughs) So there's a certain selfish uh, self-interest in this. But the bigger thing is, you know, part of this is I I see you've put out such an incredible body of work over the years. And when I talk to people uh, about bicycling and about, you know, paying attention to the sorts of uh, exercise and uh, diet information there they all feel kind of overwhelmed like well you know there's there's so much i don't even know where to begin and so one of the things i really wanted to ask you you know we were just talking about this before we started recording is you know gut biome and an environment and processed foods you know i i'm curious about your big takeaways you've been doing this for 20 plus years you know what is it that has made a lasting impact on how you view the world <laughs> well, that's a that's a big question. Um, so, Sorry. <laughs> so yes, and you, you, I think gut biome. I, I have I have a few thoughts on um, weight and weight loss and weight weight maintenance. You know, things that we talk about a lot. Um, I obviously am not an expert on the gut biome. There's very few people that can probably claim to be at this point. It's it's such a new, emerging, ever changing science, but it's clearly 
clearly much more important than anybody ever ever thought that it was. Um, it's not just like eating yogurt after you've taken a course of antibiotics, right? It 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 impacts your mood. It impacts your food storage. It impacts your di- your digestion and where and how you metabolize fats and carbohydrates and what that all means. And I mean, I really believe, you know, having watched people go through the whole low fat thing and now the low carb thing and now swinging back to whatever and whole 30 and paleo and keto. Um, you know, I, I think that through the processed food and what we've done to our diet to make it so far removed from real food, mm-hmm. um, which has been shown to not only uh, propagate the biome, but also feed it and keep it healthy. I think that a lot of people are metabolically broken, Patrick. Like, I really do. I think that, um, you know, there's a reason that if you eat the same calories from trash food that you will you will become obese, you know, and it has nothing to do with the, the macronutrient composition and everything to do with the fact that it's it's terrible for that gut biome. And it's it's not getting processed the way real food and your body, you know, is meant to be in your body. That's that's becoming more clear all the time. Mm-hmm. Now, when we talk about processed foods, um, I mean, I think I have a working definition of that. But where do you draw the line? Let's that's let's a very talk, good question. Let's because talk you pasta. Can call, yeah, I knew you were going to say pasta. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, you know, pasta is definitely processed, but there are. It's not the most processed food. Yeah, I mean, if you if you're talking about processed food, I tend to think of engine. I, I tend to think of engineered food mm-hmm. more than processed. So I would because cooking processes food, right? So if you wanted if you want to start drawing those lines, you're going to go raw food, and I don't think that's necessary or healthy either. Mm-hmm. Um, in and of you know, as an entity, is all you consume, but but processed is more engineered if you will so that you've manipulated added chemicals pulled stuff out put in other stuff i think that's where the problem lies because there's plenty i mean people have been eating traditional diets of bread and you know processed grains and in pasta and that kind of stuff for a long long time Mm -hmm. without problem right it's it's more when you start really tampering with food that it seems to be problematic. Does that make sense? It does. I mean, cause I look at stuff, you know, I'll, I'll be out and about with my boys and we'll stop at a seven 11 for a snack and you know, they head for the Cheetos and I'm like, Nope, Nope, yeah. Nope, Nope, Nope. Um, yeah, and that stuff's just, there's nothing redeemable about it. I mean, there just isn't, or can you have some at a party, whatever, but to have it in your regular life, I think is not healthy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it's one of those things. It's like, well, okay. It's easy for me to say no to pop tarts or Cheetos or Doritos. Um, but now that my eight year old has been exposed to things like Cheetos, getting him Mm -hmm. to eat cashews, which I used to be able to do when he was four. Um, I'm not as successful at that. And so, I mean, for me, there is a real world issue in terms of trying to teach my kids how to eat um, from the standpoint of, you know, okay, am I on the right side of the line if I'm giving them a cliff bar? (laughs) You know, I I hate that I'm asking this question. 
That's a very fair question. And I would say no, um, only because it's not meant for that. You know, um, I, I cringe a little when I see people snacking on energy foods because those are meant to be very digestible when you need a lot of calories. And you don't want that in your snack food. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Like yep. you, you that, that's not what you're looking for. You're looking for something that has some satiety. So it needs some fiber, like the nuts are a better choice because they're going to hang out with you a little longer in your gut and, and satisfy that as opposed to just delivering energy when, oh my God, you're at mile 85 of some godforsaken gravel event, you're going to die. You know, like that's, that's when you want your energy foods. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's a, a, Curious problem. Um, now, uh, you know, it seems like everyone I know is always concerned about trying to lose weight. Whether Can I they're... speak to that? <laughs> yes. I'm so, I, I've thought a lot about this. And the thing, first, I just want to talk to it because I am very uh, on the path of not being part of the problem anymore. I've written for women's magazines for a long time, and I've, I... I want to repent, maybe a strong word, but I feel like I was part of the problem for too long. I didn't mean to be part of the problem, but I don't want to be part of the problem. And by that, I mean, there's the, like weight obsession is not healthy <laughs> and we have it in our sport. And when we have a weight obsession, we start fighting with our bodies and, and um, punishing ourselves and depriving ourselves and trying all these things that are extremely counterproductive. And it's not just about willpower. It's about your brain being very hardwired to have you take care of yourself. And you, you can try to fight that all day long and you might win a little bit, but you're not going to win in the long term. And you, you I, I can only show you 12,000 diets to prove that. <laughs> um, you know, and it's true. And with cyclists, I think like everyone, they, wh why do they want to lose weight? Because they want to be faster, right? They want mm -hmm. to uh, feel better on their bikes and I, I'm going to share this with you just because I think it is important. You know, I did a little experiment where I weighed myself every day for five years while I was going through all kinds of training. You know, I did Ironman during that time. I did Cape Epic mountain bike racing, like huge things. And my, my performances at some of my higher weights were far better than my performances at some of my lower weights. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's about... And then I like this, this winter, I stepped off the scale, I stopped that experiment, because, you know, I, I had noticed that I was losing some strength, some power, and I, and I wanted to get that back. And I decided I'm going to do um, some CrossFit, like heavy lifting, some intense stuff. I have a propensity for muscle. And I knew that that would mean, you know, higher numbers on the scale. And I didn't want that to mess with me. Um, so I went in there, you know, twice a week, did that definitely got stronger, you know, definitely put on some muscle, but I got on my bike and, you know, I, I started crushing some of my own times on my mountain bike on some of the, the stuff I do. I could just feel the power. Mm -hmm. And it's, I think that, that for anybody listening who wants to improve their performance, please start with the power. I'm not saying you don't need to lose weight. Plenty of people do. We live in a very uh, sedentary oriented society where it's hard, even if you ride, you know, you sit a lot, you work a lot, there's food everywhere, I get it. But but don't lose the other side of the equation. And I think a lot of cyclists could would be amazed if they just started deadlifting and, and doing some heavy lifting, 
Um, <laughs> you know, it, 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 it increases your neural drive. It makes you more efficient. It makes you more effective. It puts more muscle fibers at your disposal. It does all these amazing things that put more watts in your system, right? Yep. And then, then let's talk about, okay, now how do we, and it also helps you lose fat, you know, so let's, which, you know, maybe not per se weight, but it helps you lose the weight that you don't want to be carrying around. Yeah. Um, so I, 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 I will step back down off my soapbox now <laughs> and um, address some of your more practical questions. But I felt very strongly that that needed to be, that needs to be heard, that people need to get that a little more correct in their minds. Yeah, well, I absolutely welcome that. And I mean, it's it's certainly on a personal note, kind of nice to hear because uh, this past fall was pretty interesting for me, you know, between being evacuated for a while and just the upheaval <laughs> of that. And uh, I had to kind of change the focus of my riding for a while, uh, partly because of smoke uh, and yeah. access to certain places. The upshot for me is... I've got more power than I've had in years. It's fun. I like it. Um, so how did you change it and why is that? Uh, there were some dietary changes. Um, like I just started making sure I had yogurt with breakfast every morning. Um, and there was a little more, uh, a little more pork, uh, a little mm -hmm. more chicken uh, in my diet. Um and then also the changes in riding, more mountain biking, so that I was doing more short, steep climbs. Yeah. Where yeah. It's where built-in interval work. Yeah, that's all you were doing. Yeah, um, and you know, chasing around a bunch of guys who would like uh, go incredibly hard for eight minutes, uh, yep. and then pull over and you know uh, loosen up a little. We'll we'll say in yeah, yeah, yeah. I, Sonoma I got, County I style. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the, the thing is, so like I did uh, a, a big gravel event this past weekend, uh, Fish Rock. Mm -hmm. I can't climb anymore. I'm, I have, my, my aerobic fitness has evaporated. And I know part of it is compared to my old racing weight, which was probably too light. I'm like 16 pounds above that. Mm -hmm. um, some of it doesn't really bother me, but you know, the, the piece where... Uh, I find myself climbing at six miles an hour on a 12% right. grade. I, I'm, I'm not entirely thrilled with that. So, you know, I'm thinking some about... Did you well, drop the volume of riding you were doing too? Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. volume did go down some and I'm trying to get that back up now. I mean, I think the sweet spot that, that uh, helps with all of that. I mean, you know, yeah, it's super fun to have power and it doesn't always translate to climbing though. I mean, that power will help when some of the excess weight comes off, right? That, that'll, that'll come back. Mm -hmm. um, is, you know, the, the intervals are awesome because they're metabolically disruptive. Anytime that you, that you make your body go, oh my God, holy shit, what are you doing? That's a good thing because it adapts. Um, you know, that's how high intensity interval training works. It just raises your, like a high tide raises all boats, it brings everything with it. Mm -hmm. um, that's one of the things I discovered about CrossFit. I mean, I just like that, like really heavy metabolic kind of lifting because it does. It just it just raises your fitness and raises your strength, um, helps you burn fat. But you then you also need that's twenty percent though, right? The other eighty percent needs to be some of those long endurance rides. You know, mm -hmm. it just where you where you are just burning away at your fat stores and building your mitochondria super important 
Um, yeah, I mean, that that needs to be part of the equation. And then <clears throat> it becomes a matter of fueling all that. So I'm a huge believer in just really, I mean, not to the killjoy point of things, but thinking about food as fuel. Like if you have a big hard day, you go, okay, I'm going to fuel myself because I need a little more. But then the days that you, you know, aren't doing as much, then eat less. And it sounds so simple, but it kind of is, you know, and it, and it, it, that it, it kind of works like eat real food, mm-hmm. fuel your efforts, fuel around your efforts. I mean, a lot of people go into the rides like in a calorie deficit because they want to burn more fat and whatever. And then they're ravenous at the end of the day and they house like a whole bag of whatever, you know, sitting in front of Netflix and it, it's, it becomes super counterproductive. You just want to, yeah, you just want to fuel yourself. Yeah. So, you know, given your vast experience, if I asked you for your three favorite techniques, say you were getting ready for some event, Cape Epic again, and you Mm -hmm. wanted to get four pounds off before you got there. I never think that way, but oh, okay. I don't. I don't. My. I don't really. My. I don't. I don't swing a whole lot with my weight, um, because I just. I. It's very boring and unsexy, but it's a lifestyle. Right. Um, I. I don't swing that much. I mean, yeah, when I'm riding a ton, of course. I mean, you just get. You just lose some weight because it's just the way it is. I mean, if you're riding 15 hours a week, it's just. You know, it's it's gonna you're going to be a little lighter, yeah. but, but I, but it's not, I, I don't swing as much as you would think. And I don't, I never, ever, ever, ever think I better lose this weight before something ever. Um, I, I focus on my training mm-hmm. and, and fueling myself, but to, to answer your question, I, I see where you're going. Um, <laughs> I make sure that I have lots and lots of things that I should be eating in the house. If you buy a bunch of crap that you don't want to eat and have it in your house, you're going to eat it, period. Period. Like, it mystifies me when people are like, oh, I'm like, well, it's in your house, of course, you know, you're going to eat it. Um, So I have tons of stuff that, that, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not magical. I'm not a saint. Like, if I go downstairs, there are things that I, because I work in my house, I can't have. I cannot have a jar of Nutella in this house. Oh, hell no. <laughs> but there are things, I mean, we can have ice cream, my daughter, like whatever. Like, I, I won't bug it. But there are things that are definitely, like, if I put a spoon into it, it's I, I like a rhesus monkey in a science experiment. It just won't stop. So, no, like, that will not be in the house. So I, I, I fill the house with, you know, nuts and fruit and vegetables and hummus and things that when I go downstairs and I think, oh, I'll have a cookie, then I, I can take a step and go, do you want the cookie? Or are you just kind of like, do you need something crunchy? What do you really need? I ask my, like, I just ask myself one question, like, what do you really need? Mm-hmm. And then I'll be like, okay, I don't really need the cookie, blah, blah, blah. And you know what? If I ask myself that question and I'm like, you know what? I need the cookie, then I'll eat the cookie. But I just, I just ask, you know, just do a little check-in with myself. Yeah. And I cook. I cook, I make breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I don't eat out much because it's, it's not, I think it's just hard to, even if you go to healthy places, it's kind of hard to know what's in there. It's kind of hard to know. And, and it, it, you know, whether it's too much sodium and you're retaining, you know, water or whatever, it's, it's just easier to maintain your weight if you 
take if you fuel yourself if you cook yeah yeah uh, much easier to maintain control that's for sure um yeah now uh one of the recent episodes of the pace line uh eldon fatty talked about yep. uh fasting you know right. as part of his uh routine and I did the math on, you know, when he was, uh, when he would stop eating in the day and when he would start eating the next day. It I was, heard that. I it heard was that episode. 16 hours. It, it was, was like, 16 hours. That's a lot. Um, it's, it's on the upper end. I've, I've, there's a lot of actually very good research on fasting. Um, it does work and it seems to be healthful, you know, and, it, and it, if you think about it, uh, from a, a standpoint of, you know, our, ancestry it makes sense right like we always didn't have all this food at our disposal right so you would feast and you would famine a little bit that's kind of how we probably lived mm -hmm. um it's harder to do now because we have food everywhere um but there there's something very there, the the science is pretty good uh for mitochondria for your metabolism to have a smaller window i just actually did an interview with an alzheimer's researcher who who does that, who, who tries to keep his window narrow because it's good for the brain. Um, so there's something to it. I, I think 16 is unnecessarily long. Uh, most people go in the realm of 11 to 12, which which is not that much, but it's most people don't do it. Right. I mean, if you think about it, most people ha have a, a much, much shorter window um, of, of fasting and a much bigger window where they're just sort of grazing. I don't think grazing is a great idea either. Mm -hmm. because it's too easy just to like mindlessly eat and eat way more than you think you're eating. I mean, it's not a matter of counting calories, but like grazing is, I mean, what grazes cows graze, right? Like, what? <laughs> so, I mean, that's to be, it's just, I think you should let yourself feel hunger, you know, and yeah. then eat properly and then let yourself feel hunger. There's, we got this idea in this, in this country now, like hunger is this terrible thing and I'm going to be hangry and I better eat, eat, eat. Well, like, it, it, no, you know, like let yourself uh, recalibrate a little bit and let yourself feel some hunger. It's, it's okay. It's a good signal. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But to answer your fasting question, I mean, I think, um, you know, I think 12 hours would be a pretty good sweet spot for somebody who would try to do that. And there's, there's really pretty good research that it's, that it's useful. And I'll add this, that I, I did that book Roar with Stacey Sims, who yep. is an amazing uh, physiologist and nutritionist who spe specifically works on women's um, metabolism. Yep. And intermittent fasting, like the more severe stuff where you're talking like maybe 500 calories one day and many more the next day, doesn't work as well with women because of the hormonal situation that happens. They, they tend to become uh they get more cortisol you know the stress hormone right which right. encourages fat storage and increases appetite and, and messes with inflammation so it's it's often not very successful for women particularly premenopausal but even postmenopausal but that said they do do okay with the just sort of the shorter window of, of feeding that seems to work pretty well for everybody so i think that is that's a very sound approach to take to get, especially if you're just looking to sort of lean down a little bit. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, alcohol. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I'm good Lord. I moved from Southern California to Sonoma County. 
Uh, and so now I'm in one of the greatest wine regions in the world, and I'm in one of the hottest of hotbeds for brewing. Uh, huh. You know, and so I can't show up to a social function without there being either great wine or great beer, if not actually both. Um, and I'm I'm constantly trying to figure out how to strike some sort of balance. And it's a conversation I have with other friends all the time. Um, you know, whether it's like just have, you know, one beer uh, or every now and then, you know, you let yourself have a couple of beers. Uh, you know, what is it you see that works so that people aren't living monastically, um, but at the same time, aren't putting on an extra pound a week from all the beer. Right. And, you know, I think, um, and, and there's, it's, there's no unequivocal research on like all of this, but beer does seem to, uh, be more problematic. You know, like if I had to choose, I would choose the wine mm -hmm. just because beer does seem to, as far as weight, gain and maintenance, it does seem to be a little more uh, problematic that way. And it's, you know, I would tell you to be, uh, to be well fed. I think one of the things that happens is that you get a combination of stuff where people try to, they're, they're depriving themselves on every level, right? So they're like maybe doing the whole food thing or they're, they're doing the, I'm not going to eat all this they're fasting or you know, they're making themselves a little crazy with their diet. Yep. And then as soon as they let themselves loose with one drink, it's all over. The box of donuts is gone. The bourbon is gone. This it's, it's, <laughs> you know, like, because alcohol does lower your inhibitions, right? So if you've right. been wound up super tight, inhibiting yourself, then you're, you're more prone to having that other situation, yeah. right? As soon as you try to unwind, you're going to really unwind. Um, because I don't I think the, the research is pretty good that having moderate alcohol consumption, people tend to have healthier BMIs and leaner than people who either do not drink or drink too much. But it's it is I mean, I'd be lying if I said it's of course, it's a challenge because you're in a social situation and it, the, the beer is good and the wine is good and people are kicking back. And it's it is a challenge. I mean, it's there's all kinds of tried and true tricks like. Make yourself have a glass of water after each beverage, you know, mm -hmm. so you think about what you're doing. Um, but you have to be vigilant and there's no there's no other way around that. Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't I'm not sure. I mean, I know that the researchers would tell you that the proper answer is to have just one most of the time and, you know, don't have none and then have four. But, you know, you're a human being and that's that's probably not realistic. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's just it's. It's, it is being vigilant and trying to make good choices. You know, I, I, I do think that, again, you know, having a few beers is probably just for whatever reason, metabolically going to make the weight maintenance a little more difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it certainly seems that way to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, so one of the things that happened this past weekend at Fish Rock was I got to the last rest stop and I was offered ibuprofen. And it's funny, I, I won't say I was scandalized, but there was this like red alert inside my brain. It's like, wait, I'm not supposed to do that. Why are they offering yeah. that to me? And it's like, you know, let's let's do a little refresher. You know, um, you, you know, you, your joints start to get a little painful late in an event. Um, you know, what are some of the things that you think are still, 
you know, smart to do in terms of taking care of yourself. And I mean, you've done an Ironman, so I think you've sampled all the pain there is to, to sample, right? Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, I think if you do that once in a while, it's not the end of the world. I think where people got into trouble is where it became for a while, like vitamin I, right? People, yes. people thought it, it got that reputation. And I remember seeing advertisements in some of the Rodale magazines, you know, I don't know if it was men's health or, or runner's world or one of them, or maybe all of them. Um, where it was, it was being advertised that way. You do the miles, you do the work, you do the ibuprofen. I mean, I do the, I, I won't say the name, but like it was, it was that blatant being advertised that way. And then, you know, the science kind of caught up and went, mm -mm -mm, no, no, that's a bad idea. You know, cause you don't want a leaky gut. That's bad. It can be bad for your gut and you don't want, you want the insides of your gut staying where they are, not leaking into your bloodstream. Yeah, preferably, preferably. And it also what's super interesting is, uh, particularly during training, that the inflammation, and here you go, the body is smarter than we are, the inflammatory process is necessary right. to trigger your gains. So if you, if you bypass that by putting anti-inflammatories into your system, you bypass a lot of the uh, training gains, which is, you know, fascinating science. Now, all that being said, if you are wherever you are at this frog, what is, what was it called? I'm sorry. The fish rock, fish rock. Well, I don't know where I got frog fish rock. Um, <laughs> there were plenty of frogs up there. There you have it. It is it going to kill you if, if you have something that's bugging you at that point. No, you know, it's, I think it's just a matter of habitual use is not a good idea. And, you know, being more careful about trying to manage your inflammation in everyday life by eating plenty of healthy fatty foods, you know, avocados and fatty fish and all the things that we know the eat the rainbow, as they say, all the colorful fruits and vegetables, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. using all the, all that stuff that is naturally anti-inflammatory is, is far better than taking ibuprofen every day and, and just, you know, saving it for when you need a drug. You know, and, and looking at it like a drug, like, OK, my neck is killing me. I just need to get these 15 miles in. I'm going to take it and then I'm going to address like why my neck is killing me. Yeah. That, yeah. I mean, that's that's the way to approach it. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, uh, that certainly takes care of the, the diet program, uh, the diet portion of our program. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, one of the things that I was really in, uh, curious to discuss with you you know, you've done an incredibly vast array of different events. Like you mentioned Cape Epic, uh, yes. you've done an Ironman, you've done all sorts of different stuff. Um, and so my first question is, you know, given all this crazy stuff you've done, what would you single out as the hardest thing you've done? Huh? That's an interesting question. Um, yeah, I've done, I've done a lot of, a lot of things. I mean, I've done, I did, Ironman Kentucky, and then six weeks later went to Ironman Kona. And Kona was probably one of the mentally hardest things I've done. Um, Cape Epic was super hard. A lot of those stage races are obviously very hard. I've, I've, I've done a, a bunch of them. But the only one, I mean, it's like anything. Uh, if you put in the training, the results follow. And even though you're always going to go through some dark passages during a race of that length, you, you, can, you can pretty much do anything. Uh, honestly, Dirty Kansas is the only 
thing that I have ever really wanted to quit. <laughs> I, I didn't quit, but it's the only time, only event where I've ever really seriously felt like stopping. It, it's very hard. Yeah. Wow. 200 yeah. miles of that is you get so dark somewhere around 165. I've done it twice. Yeah. Um, and it's about the same time every time. This past time I, I had a, the, the, I had a just literal meltdown from, from the heat that happened at that point in the day. But, um, it, it, you get, it's, it's a, you get to a real dark place and you have to just find your way through it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because a lot of people are like, Oh, it's harder than Ironman. Well, it took me longer to do both dirty Kansas races by hours, um, than it did to do either of my Ironman races. And it's, you're on the, you're doing the same thing. I mean, yeah, running the marathon is very, very difficult, but if you've trained for it, you can do it. And at least like you've swam, you're on, you're on your bike, you're running, you're doing different things. You're not, you're not in the same position on the same landscape in the same elements, you know, for over 200 miles. It's, 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 it's way more difficult than I think most people who haven't done it would, would know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's funny because so this past year I did the half pint, right? Mm -hmm. Only a hundred. <laughs> but I was hanging out with Yuri Hoswald and some other folks who did the 200. And, um, you know, after the event, they all talked about the darkness that came, you know, right about three quarters of the way through, yep, you know, absolutely. somewhere from 140 to 160. Yep. You know, you, you, yeah, it, the darkness falls and you don't come it out. It is dark. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I find that pretty curious um i've never wanted to do a double century until well now i want to do dirty cans i want to do the whole thing so next year i think of you know of this incredible array of stuff that you've done you know what was the most rewarding event that you did where you got to the finish and thought well damn it i did it yes and i i get that you're going to do that every time you finish something but yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. The the one that comes to my mind uh, that is, might be unexpected is the Mount Washington hill climb. Mm. Uh -huh. um, yeah, just because it was because I, you know, I, because I go into everything, Patrick, extremely prepared. Um, that's kind of what I do. And I, you know, so I, I could say Ironman, I could say Brazil ride, you know, Brazil ride was this eight days stage race across Brazil with Reba and we won and it was awesome. And I was elated, but, but Mount Washington, I did almost like a, a Sunday caught, like I didn't, I didn't know what I was getting into. So I just took my Pinarello prints with my 5339 <gasps> and yeah, yeah. And, you know, just went with, you know, my husband and a friend of ours who had been there, he had not ever done the race, but he had, uh, yeah, I think he had driven up Washington or something. And we get to the venue and, um, you know, Brian's like, do you have a compact? Do you have anything? And I was like, no, no, just, you know, I got brought my bike. It's like, okay. And then he, you know, he points to sort of the mountain. He's like, yeah, that's about the flattest part of it. And I don't know if you've ever done it, but it starts on a slight decline yeah. and then it immediately <laughs> kicks up. I was out of gears in 50 yards. Like I was totally, yeah. I was like, okay, this is what we're doing today. Yeah. And, um, but you know what? I got, 
I won my age group and got third overall and wow. was <laughs> over the moon. I mean, I that is still one of the proudest moments I've had where I just took my damn bike to this thing and just gutted it out and very much enjoyed it at, at the end of the day. I mean, the hardest part of that event to me was the first mm, – the first three and a half miles were super, super hard just because you're in the trees yep. and you can't see anything. So every time I would look up, all I could see is people like bent over their bars, weaving around the road. I'm like, OK, don't look up. This is terrible. Like just put <laughs> look down and put one pedal stroke in front of the other. And you're like, I'm not getting off this bike and pushing. I'm not walking. Just keep like stomping on the pedals. And I as soon as the trees broke and I could see, I was like, oh, my God, OK, like. Like it was like a new day, and then I just somehow got a, a a second wind, a little bit of a high, and it was just it was phenomenal. It was it was a very phenomenal experience. So <laughs> it was that would be it. Like I was just so I was just psyched because I I had no nerves going into it. I didn't do. And when I got there, I was like, "You are the biggest idiot ever," because everybody was on these sound <laughs> bikes. Like they had. You know, they had no, no breaks, no gear, like nothing. I was just like, okay, I should have done some homework. But at the That's, end of the day, I'm super proud of that one. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny that you should say that, you know, being in the trees was hard and being out of the trees was better. Because when I did it, and it's been 20 years, I think, 21 years, something like that. Uh, when the trees finally opened up and you had that one, like, almost one kilometer section of dirt in there at yeah, 18%. Yeah. Yep. I remember looking up at that and going, you've got to be kidding. <laughs> and so for me, being out of the trees was not better. <laughs> oh, it didn't, it didn't have that. Yeah. And you know, yeah, I had, yeah, no, this. I, I got real giddy at that point. I was, I was quite happy. And it's funny how many people, I don't know how, if you saw like, because that last S turn is so gnarly, like, mm -hmm. except I don't know, 24 or what a percent, but I don't know how many guys just busted their chains, you know, like trying to charge up that, that last little section and then they fall over. I'm like, that's terrible, but oh. it's very exciting. It's a very exciting event when you get to that point. Cause, yeah. 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 And, and to, to get up there, I don't, you know, obviously I don't know what the conditions were when you got to the top, but when I got to the top, you know, the temperature was down in the 30s. They were wrapping cold. us in blankets. Yeah. Um, so, you Where know. Where else do they wrap you in a woobie, though, at the end of the day, right? Yeah. Like... <laughs> yeah, you get your little finisher's medal. That was the first time and one of the only times where a finisher's medal actually meant something to me. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, that, yeah, that's probably some sort of indicator. Now, the real question I'm curious about is what do you see as the connection for at least for you between how challenging an event is and how rewarding it is. I think there has to be a sweet spot in there, right? Like if something is, is so challenging that I feel like I suck, it's not super rewarding. If it's, if it's challenging that I feel that I, um, I've really overcome something and finished it, then it is, then it is pretty rewarding. And if it's not challenging at all, then 
you know, I, I don't know. It, I, I think everything you do is still a little bit rewarding because some work has to go into it, right? Sure. Like a certain amount of preparation, a certain amount of work has gone into it. Um, but the reward thing is funny. I mean, there are, there are definitely things, events that I've done where I didn't get an awesome result, but I was it was incredibly rewarding because because I raced smart or I, I overcame some adversity or whatever and I, I did something I didn't think I could do. That's super rewarding. And there's things that I've won that have been not amazingly rewarding because I I felt maybe like there wasn't as much competition, you know, or for whatever reason. So it's it's so variable. It just changes I mean, I will say that I always look for new challenges. I don't, I'm not one to do the same thing again and again, mm-hmm. because I, I think I find it less rewarding. Like I, 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 I find the process rewarding. So if I have to go through the same process again and again to do the same thing, it, it, I, I hit a very quickly hit a point of diminishing returns. Um, and that's just me. That's just how I'm wired. That's why I've done so many different things. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'm this this year is uh, doing the coast to coast in Michigan. That's my latest thing. Uh-huh. So it's, it's kind of cool. I like it, it, things that capture my imagination. So it goes from one side of the mitten to the other side of the mitten. Okay. And uh, it's 209 miles, 210. So that's all road. Hopefully, hopefully or... that will be extremely rewarding for me. Well, of course. Uh, is it a, a strictly road event or does it? Put, no, put, it's all gravel. It's all oh. the yeah. Wow. Yeah, so it's very dirty Kansas-ish, but not mm-hmm. on that same, not on the same kind of. Uh, the dirt's different. Okay. What time of year is it? May. So it could be anything. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's the wild card, right? Like anything that I mean, weather's always a wild card, depending. At least in my world, I don't know if it is in your world as much. Um just because I think of California is always, except that, you know, when I did the tour of California with Yuri and those guys, mm-hmm. we got poured on, poured on, poured on for days. Yeah. I'm like, what is up? <laughs> yeah. It's easy to think that, uh, California is all rainbows and sunshine. Um, Not when I'm there. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're, we're briefly between showers right now. It was, it was pouring like I haven't heard in ages earlier this really? morning. Yeah. Um, and I sent a text message to someone earlier who suggested I go do a Zwift workout. And I was thinking, you know, I actually kind of like riding in the rain. And then the, the response was, who are you? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind. I Starting in the rain is a little psychologically difficult sometimes. Yeah. It depends on the temperature. If it's warm, I'm okay. Like cold rain is cold rain. Right? It, it's hard to it's it's it 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 builds character as they say well and i I need more character so yeah i just did 124 miles in the rain a couple weeks ago oh it was dude and we have the spring classics here and they're very very fun and the courses are wonderful and because i'm training for this thing a friend of mine who is training for nothing but just insane um (laughs) will ride from philadelphia to the event which is in new jersey do the event and then we'll ride home. So it, it becomes this massive day. Um, and it was, I mean, you could just hear it pouring on the window at five o'clock in the morning when I woke up and I was like, this is terrible. <laughs> Cause it was, you know, it was February. It was still, it was 36 degrees. Oh, so, yeah. oh my. Yeah. And it was, 
it was I, I changed gloves four times. Uh, I was never in a really dark place, but it was it was it takes a lot out of you to do to be in those kind of conditions. Yeah. Um, puts a lot of strength in the bank, though. Like when you get done with something like that, like everything else it becomes easier. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Well, I've got grasshoppers coming up, so I, I'm feeling I've always like wanted I... to do one of those. I, I keep hearing that I would love one, and they seem like they're right up my alley. We we will conspire to get you out here next year. Yeah, I would love to. I would love to. Yeah. Try one of those. Yeah, we we need to do that. Um, uh, Miguel Crawford, the organizer, was pretty gratified when there was a recent piece somewhere, Cycling Tips, maybe Cycling News, one of those, uh, where Lawrence Tindam talked about the five events that kind of reinvigorated his racing, and he oh, listed wow. the Grasshoppers as one of them. Uh, That's cool. Yeah, he he spent a winter in Marin County, and so he would come up for a few of the grasshoppers. And, you know, seeing this skinny little punk in a giant kit, uh, oh, he's got a giant bike too. Oh, 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 sorry. Um, right, no, right to the front there, Mr. M- Mr. Tindy. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. You know, Stacey Sims uh, lived out there for a while, and she, Fairfax, and she was like, you've got to come and do a grasshopper, but... I never made it. She's right. There's still time. <laughs> well, Celine, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed this. Me too. Cool. Anytime. Yeah. Well, we we will we will conspire to get you out here and we will conspire with more questions for you. Excellent. All well, right. Thanks so much. All You're right. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks again to Celine Yeager. That was terrific. Uh, you can find out more on her on redkiteprayer.com in the show notes. Leave a comment while you're at it, in fact. This podcast shows up on RKP, Apple Podcasts, Google Music, Stitcher, and many other places. Rating and reviewing this show helps keep it going. So for Patrick Brady, I'm Michael Houghton. You've been listening to The Pace Line.